your business on the one hand is the human aspect, but then you're going ahead with the AI aspect. So talk about the innovator's dilemma. They were comparing GPT-3 translations to translations done by other well-known stock MT engines. And welcome everyone to another episode of SlaterPod. Hi there, Esther. Hey, Florian. This is not an in-person one. This is a remote one. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> sadly, you were you you did our very first in-person podcast uh, last week or this week? Was it this week? This week, yeah, a couple of days ago, just with Tanya Bogan from Craft Worldwide in London. So I went to their offices, had a nice tour of uh, some of their uh, audio rooms, the studios. Um, and yeah, it was very good. Interesting discussion with, with Tanya about transcreation and uh, all sorts. We're so fast in producing this stuff. So yeah, you we, you went there on Monday and we already published it on, I think, on, on Wednesday, right? So really, really quick turnaround there. Uh, yeah, the audio was amazing. It's like, uh, obviously, pure studio audio. Yeah, we had our very own engineer on site as well. So that was great. There you go. Great, great show. Just uh, listened to it yesterday. On the agenda today, briefly talk about our recent M&A report, uh, continue the discussion around ChatGPT and how it fares uh, with machine translation tasks. And you're going to talk a bit about Paris Olympics and remote simultaneous interpreting. And then that show like 1899 and it's nine source languages and then how GameLock still doing quite well. So first up though, uh, 2020 M&A report published it about a week ago. I think it's, uh, we got a lot of um, transactions, right? So it was 62 M&A transactions, 18 startup and tech founding, uh, funding rounds that we covered. Uh, interestingly, kind of in the same ballpark as the previous years in terms of the numbers. It was, yeah. I'm not sure if that's a function of our capacity to cover this stuff or if it's if it's just the reality of that's how many transactions there are, uh, but probably a, a somewhere a mix of both of these factors. So, mm-hmm. I mean, go, go, uh, well, get it uh but just some of the key highlights would be like we there was no major like super transaction like rws sdl style right but quite quite a few sizable ones i think generally valuations are holding up you know we all know valuation would be um uh, kind of a, a multiple of earnings that you get paid as the seller so you know this anywhere between like five and ten depending on the size here so you know if you're Making a million dollars a year, you can probably expect to sell for like seven, eight, nine, ten million, um, and those valuations are holding up quite well. I think on the startup end, uh, I think in, in, there's a lot of like dubbing funding that we saw this mm-hmm. year and some tech, but it kind of slowed down a little bit towards the end of the year. Not just a little bit; I think it did slow down quite a lot um, in in startup land. Although, um, as we spoke last time, I think the um, some language technology startups would be caught up now in this AI hype, which means there's still some money available to them as opposed to many of the other startups that, you know, with the rise in interest rates are now uh, not getting a lot of funding. So I think, uh, again, here, language industry resilient. Now, we have a briefing next week, right, for those that purchase report and subscribers. Briefing, 30 minutes, 15 minutes Q&A. We'll talk about this. Also, we're really proud to uh, to announce, as we have in uh, uh, a press release and uh, an article, that we were acting as the 
buy-side advisor to Unbobble in their acquisition to EVS Translations, a Germany-based financial translation specialist. And we also were the exclusive uh, sell-side advisor to RepuState, a sentiment analysis platform, when they sold to NASDAQ-listed Sprout Social. So anybody who listens, who's contemplating either buying uh, an LSP or a, a language tech company, or you know maybe contemplating selling, uh, let us know. Uh, this was a, a very successful start to the year. We're proud that we were uh, able to uh, to help these uh, two companies uh, with their respective M&A needs. So on the ChatGPT front, which is all every anyone seems to be talking about, uh, our friends over at Intento ran a test. And uh, what exactly did they do, Esther? Yeah, well, I think they were comparing GPT-3 translations to translations done by other well-known stock MT engines. Um, so we're looking at, well, a range of different ones, but including Amazon, Baidu, DeepL, Google, uh, Sistran, Ubiquitous, uh, Microsoft, a whole load of, of other ones. Um, but for very specific language pairs. Yeah, language pairs, English and Spanish, English and German, right? And I did play around with it myself, like in the very early days. You just basically prompted to like, you know, chat GPT, please translate X. And the output was decent. It was okay. Um, and so Intento obviously is in a great position to evaluate this much more professionally. And so they used the Comet score. That's the, I think Unbobble was very much involved in, in the Comet uh, quality estimation framework. Uh, I think it's open source though, if I remember correctly. So... Intento went and did English into Spanish, English into German, used the Comet score and results, drum roll, for English into Spanish. Intento says that GPT-3, or ChatGPT, I guess, performed close to the top runners like Google, Amazon, DeepL, Microsoft, and ModernMT. But the average score was a little bit on the lower side. For English into German, uh, the ChatGPT is, is in the second tier, scores significantly lower than the the, the, the leaders there, which were DeepL, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft. And then um, what did they actually found? Uh, so Intento did a human uh, quality review, and they said that the Spanish translation identified that they, the, the reviewers identified a few issues, mostly around like omissions, false, uh, see, I'm reading this, false DNT. What's DNT? Do not translate. All right, not bad, yes. Uh, false do not translate, uh, some terminology mistakes and some questionable grammar in German. Uh, there were a large number of literal translations uh, and some mistranslations do not translate in terminology issues. So, you know, you can see that the models are very powerful. So, I mean, obviously, uh, translation is just one of the, you know, gazillion things that ChatGPT does. Uh, but obviously, there is all these kind of fine-tuning last mile issues that uh, have been ironed out in the other more dedicated uh, models there, right? Then they also say that in domain-specific texts, legal, healthcare, uh, ChatGPT is just not up to scratch, even when you use kind of domain-specific prompts, because you know you can only cast a net of training data so wide. I mean, if it's just too too niche, probably the 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 that broadest of possible models, ChatGPT doesn't doesn't even know uh, what it is because they they haven't been, haven't seen that type of data, haven't been trained on on that type of data. Yeah. Um, and probably it's not the core direction that OpenAI and some of these other guys are going in. I mean, I just read an article that they're like hired like a thousand people that are helping with 
coding, um, like feeding ChatGPT coding examples. So they're training okay. it probably not specifically on translation, but rather on computer coding. So you can use it as a kind of expert in the loop thing for computer coding, which has set Twitter ablaze and all, all the coders that are online are like, oh my God, like now I can just type this and I get like ready-made Python code out. But I guess I'll stop here because I can't code. So whatever I say uh, will not be uh, very highly um, educated anyway. So we had a, an article about uh, Tencent essentially doing the same thing. That was before Intento uh, published there. So Tencent, uh, Chinese tech giant, did the same thing, uh, they, except that they only used a sample of 50 sentences. I love that. Um, for basically comparing ChatGPT to DeepL Google Translate and their own kind of Tencent Translate. So um, I think it was, it was a crazy quote. It was something like, we only used 50 because um, taking more would have been very time consuming or something like that. It's like really, man really manual, I think, somehow. Exactly. It was manual because they couldn't, I mean, you, you, you can't like mass, um, you have to manually prompt it. So, you know, so... The Tencent team had to ha would have had to manually prompt it like thousands of times to get more output, which they didn't want to do. But they still went ahead and published the paper. All right, so let's leave ChatGPT for now. Um, who knows? Maybe in 2028, ChatGPT can also do remote simultaneous interpreting. But for now, the organizing committee of Paris 2024 is looking for an RSI platform. Tell us more. Well, as you said, it's the organizing committee for organizing the Olympic and Paralympic Games, um, something that I'm sure we're all going to be tuning into in uh, well next year, 2024. They are looking for an RSI provider. Um, so they've got a, I think, broadly speaking, kind of call for tenders um, that they issued a little while ago, although I think that it's actually closed now, submissions. But nevertheless, um, we can tell you a little bit about it. They are looking for an RSI platform, um, also associated mobile and web apps, both for the Olympic and Paralympic Games next year, but also for events sort of leading up to it. Um, so there's an Olympic Committee Week in July this year, 2023. So the contract will be to also create and manage accounts and interfaces, maintain security, user support, um, some interpreting specific materials like computers and headsets. And then interestingly, I thought... Um, kind of more verging into video localization. So they want some events will be live streamed, interpreted, and then also made available on demand. So the requirement is that the interpreted audio will also be integrated into the on-demand videos. Um, so obviously people can watch in their preferred language. But as you might imagine, it's huge. So you've got, I think they gave some stats around 15,000 athletes and delegations, um, there's 200, more than 200 national Olympic committees, 184 national Paralympic committees, and more than 6,000 journalists, if you can imagine that, from more than 180 countries. The value is, as itself is unspecified, uh, but there is a cap of 1 million euros, they said, for the purchase order component, which seems to be a sort of add-on to a fixed price component, which was undisclosed. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's really broad reaching. They're expecting to use something like 60 professional interpreters working in up to 11 languages, Arabic, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Mandarin, Portuguese, Russian, and Spanish. 
yeah, so it's 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 pretty exciting. The bragging rights. The bragging rights. The bragging rights if you win this. But yeah, sadly, applications have now closed. So hopefully everybody who was interested has already uh, got their applications in. Um, they will be assessed in the first stage on things like financial, technical, professional capacity. And then three candidates will be progressed to the second stage, which then involves a technical and financial bid. So we will wait and see what comes of that. If you missed that, you probably don't deserve to get it. Uh, because we we actually wrote about it way before. I mean, if if your business is RSI and you're missing this uh, Olympic size, literally Olympic size, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe that's not for you. Yeah, that's a big one. I saw a tweet by Kudo CEO on the weekend. Um, that Fardach. maybe earlier, early, yeah, far out earlier this this week that they, I mean, they launched like Kudo AI, like basically, I mean, speech to speech, right? And they said that, or he said in in the tweet that they launched it at a big conference, like six thousand people, um, oh, and wow. it was full fully automated. So I tweeted back, I'm like, tell me more. But he did not engage. <laughs> so Farda, if you hear this, please respond to the tweet. Those were honest questions. Maybe it came across as like some type of criticism, but I'm I'm genuinely curious. Like, so there's a, there's a I, I I'm blanking on the name of the conference, but it's a big conference. I think somewhere in Spain, maybe Barcelona, probably, where like a lot of people, like six thousand participants, would be there, and it's fully it's full fully automated, fully speech AI. So I mean, I I wonder what type of discussion that would be. I'm sure we could request a demo. Yeah, demo. That's right. Yeah, we should we should probably look into this. Seems quite uh, bold, right? Because your business, on the one hand, is the human aspect, but then you're going ahead with the AI aspect. So, talk about the innovator dilemma. Looks like they're uh, punching right through it. Anyway, let's go to a totally different again area, which is a Netflix show where I saw the trailer. I'm like, what is this? Moved on, but you have. You, you appear to have uh, got stuck and actually watched the whole thing. Tell us more. Yeah, I did. I, I sat down and watched. I, I don't want to say I binge watched it, but I might have might have over Christmas kind of watched the entire series. Um, so this is a show on Netflix called 1899. And we covered it and its production on Slater just because of how interesting it is from a language perspective. So the show has got nine original languages. So actors speaking nine different languages really right throughout and kind of I don't I wouldn't even know what proportion was English German other languages but it it felt truly multilingual when you're when you're watching it listening to it and um, it also has a larger number of translated versions so apparently 14 dubbed languages and 32 subtitled versions so I was watching it in original language subtitled Original audio, I should say. So I'm listening to the nine the nine original languages, but obviously reading the English subtitles when English is not being spoken. Um, it is also available in 58 countries. What's the plot if you have nine different languages in a movie? Yeah, you're like, what is, what is it? Is it a conference? No, it's not a conference. Conference in Barcelona? Yeah, no, it's a, I was going to say, it's a pretty dull series if you're doing, you know talking just about a conference no it's uh it's set on a ship full of immigrants so na like naturally they'd all be speaking different languages um then obviously you throw in the kind of cultural aspects because they've come from you know different corners of the world um 
And it's really a major sort of component of the story, the fact that it's it's different groups, different linguistic and cultural groups coming together on this ship bound for a destination. I won't give any spoilers because maybe you do actually want to go and watch it. Um, But yeah, you've got actors that came from all over Europe, um, actors from Hong Kong. So not only an international cast, but then also an international crew. Um, And I think what when we looked into it a bit, there was a sort of, um, what would you call that, like, spin-off or making of behind the scenes of the program Um, we looked into that a bit as well and they were saying you know the directors had to actually put a lot of trust in the actors when they were delivering the lines during production because the directors themselves didn't speak all of these different languages Um, so they had language assistants to make sure that the characters were actually you know being portrayed as they were supposed to be and saying what they were supposed to say Uh, you had most of the filming being done on, in a couple of studios in Germany, I think, but then multiple teams in different countries working on different aspects of pre-production, production, post-production, the whole, you know, end-to-end. Um, and so apparently credit for the language component was given to Cinescript Translations, which is a Berlin-based, uh, I suppose, media localization, audiovisual uh, translation company. Yeah. Do you have a, a kind of take on on this type of production and it's then internationalization? I mean, yeah, it seems challenging. And obviously from a, like, well, what are you going to do if you're not subtitling it? If you dub it, kind of defeats the purpose of having the thing multilingual, right? So if you watch it dubbed in German, then, well, everybody speaks German. So it kind of reverts back you lose to something. being... You lose a lot. <laughs> That's ironic to me because obviously normally we think about dubbing as globalizing or localizing content, making it more more accessible or you know taking it to a bigger audience, which on the one hand it does, but actually in this case, dubbing is sort of removing a layer of internationalization. Yeah. So that that... So that's the challenge and just recording it in, in those languages is a challenge and then probably the... Post-production is a lot more challenging uh, also for, you know, the, the people not just doing not just doing the translation, doing the dubbing, but also the, the voice acting and the audio engineering on, on top of it. Uh, I recently visited a studio where like I was, you know, I was able to watch, um, uh, kind of look at uh, how, how dubs are being made and like all the audio engineering that goes into it. So this would make it like, you know, 5x more complicated. So yeah, very interesting. Uh, I didn't watch the show, so I can't spoil it. Uh, and you're not going to, so you know, head over to Netflix. There we go. I might, Free publicity I might for eighteen ninety nine. <laughs> Last story that we just briefly want to cover that uh, game localization seems to be doing uh, really well, and we have a game localization report coming up in in a couple of weeks, so uh, very timely. So we know this because our friends at Keywords that today announced that they're buying a PR agency. <laughs> But they still they still do a lot of localization. Anyway, so they said that that there's they're seeing healthy demand for localization, right? Yeah, so this is a, an update on their full year, which ended in December. Um, it's guidance for what the results will actually be, which the guidance is slightly ahead, slightly above previous guidance. So they said they expect revenues of around six hundred and ninety million euros, which is about three quarters of a billion dollars. Um, and adjusted profit before tax of around more than a million, sorry, 11 million euros, around 12 million dollars. 
organic growth this is across the business of around 22 percent and they also said that their two two of the service lines create and globalize were particularly strong globalize being the new business unit that houses all of the localization audio services what are that what else localization qa and functional qa they that performed particularly strongly um and i think yeah we already said you know, healthy demand for post-production services, despite the fact that there was a, it was a slower period for new launches. So they seem to be doing quite well in that area of the business. Are they ever going to do media localization now? Or is that just the eternal teaser there? I don't think it's the eternal teaser. I mean, I think, I think it's probably legitimate. Um, they're talking about in 2023, continuing their M&A strategy. As you said, they just bought the PR, the PR agency. The M&A strategy will, they, in their words, focus on game development and marketing offerings, so perhaps less so in localization. Um, but they are also exploring opportunities to enter adjacent markets, such as media and entertainment. But you're right, they have said that for a number of, I suppose, a, a couple of years now. Um, but as we know, they have built up, what, 15, 20 million in media localization revenues. Can they buy a big media localizer? I really don't want them to buy PR agencies. Yeah, I was thinking about this as well. I mean, they are—they talk about outsourced services and the kind of outsourced trend growing within the video gaming industry. So I think they're not limiting themselves to specific areas of outsourced services for gaming companies. They want to do the full spectrum. Sure. Uh, good, good business. Uh, you know, shareholders are happy. Thing is worth $2 billion. So who am I to question their strategy? Um, all right, that was a nice roundup of the week. We will try to get back for a quick new show next week again. Uh, again, remote, but uh, hope you enjoyed it. So thanks. 